0: Hello, and welcome back to The Backdrop, Untold Stories in Golf. I'm your host, Matt Considine. On this very special episode, I speak with Dr. Joseph Parent, author of the best-selling book, Zen Golf. As a PGA Tour instructor who holds his PhD in psychology and has taught Buddhist philosophies and meditation for over 35 years, Dr. Joe has helped PGA and LPGA pros like Vijay Singh and Christy Kerr become the number one ranked golfers in the world. Although he is well known and respected on the professional circuit, I can't help but think about how much Dr. Joe and the Zen philosophy has impacted golfers around the world, and how much more enjoyment it could bring if Zen Golf was required reading before ever even picking up a club. I mean it. Zen Golf has been my most gifted book since finally picking it up in the spring of 2016. I've been so impressed by Dr. Joe's impact on my game, my life, and the people that I've gifted it to, that we've decided to purchase a copy for every one of our founding members at New Club. And if you've heard me gush about Dr. Joe's book, it's his direct quote that's given us our
1: favorite mantra. Which is, people think that if only I played better, I'd enjoy the game more, and it actually works the other way around. If you enjoyed the game more, you'd play better.
0: So listen in as we dive into the depths of mindfulness, breathing, and the enjoyment of the game you really won't regret hearing Dr. Joe's take on the game of golf and the game of life. Uh, a topic not related to the game of golf, and you were still our,
1: our guest today. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would the topic be? Well, it would probably be about mindfulness. And I think you probably could guess that. Uh, it's uh, something that Uh, In the uh, Buddhist tradition, uh, not the religious side particularly, but the psychological aspects of the Buddhist tradition, uh, which is really all about working with the mind. And mindfulness is about being uh, fully present to your experiences in the here and now, um, fully engaged, rather than how we often spend much of our time replaying the past or pre-playing the future.
0: You know, sums up so many of the things that I wanted to ask. Mindfulness is is so important in the game of golf.
1: Why is that? Well, you can't play in the past or the future. You can only play in the present. And unless you have a time machine in your backyard, your body is always in the here and now. You, your the location of your body in space is always here. The location of your body in time is always now. But your mind is a time machine, and it can go to the past. Or the future, and and we spend far too much of our time uh, in the past or future. And as you know, it doesn't do you a lot of good to be playing on the seventh hole and be thinking about uh, why you made that double bogey on the sixth hole. It doesn't do you much good uh, playing on the twelfth hole thinking about how tough the thirteenth hole is going to be. So thinking about the past or the future is uh, a, is baggage, um, extra extra complication that uh, interferes with you being fully present to the task at hand, which is um, making your decisions about the way you're going to play the shot that you're facing and then executing that shot.
0: Why is breathing so important to, to mindfulness?
1: For, for one thing, it's something that is always available to us and it's something that's happening whether we are Paying attention to it or not. Uh, another reason that breathing is really important is that breathing is a, it. It's so connected with our state of mind. It, you know, if you're uh, if you're in a scary situation and you you know you're out in the woods in the dark and you hear a twig snap, you stop breathing. <laughs> you want to hear everything and you hold your breath. So so when when you get uptight, your breathing gets very very tight. It gets, it's, it stays very, up, you know, up in. It doesn't get very deep. And when you're relaxed and 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 you just kind of sit back after a tough day at work, and you get sit back in your easy chair and you go, ah, and you let the breath all the way out, and you sink down into the chair, and that deep breathing is synonymous with relaxation. So the breathing is a reflection of the mind, but the breathing also affects the mind. So if you can work with your breathing to get it deep and settled, then your mind is grounded and settled. The other thing about the breathing is it's something that we can control to some extent. We can decide to take a deep breath or take a few short, shallow breaths. We could decide to hold our breath, but we can't hold it for 10 minutes. So it's partly under our control and partly not under our control, uh, a lot like life. Um, The other thing about the breathing, which I think is really fascinating, is that we're breathing in air that's not part of us. It's part of the environment. And we breathe that in and it becomes part of us. And when we breathe out, we're breathing part of us out into the environment. So at some point, depending on how much garlic or onions you had for lunch, um, but eventually at some point, you your breath becomes part of the environment and and you can't really find that place where it stops being not you and starts being you or stops being you and starts being not you and and so it shows our interdependence with our environment and if you had a microscope you'd see that your skin is even breathing to some extent so that we're not this separate um fixed entity that is so separate uh, and pitted against our environment, we're interdependent with our environment and psychologically we're interdependent with other people as well. So the interdependence of our existence is really shown up through, through the breathing. Well, we went pretty deep, pretty fast. (laughs) That's, that's why we are having you on is those types of insights. If we're just in our heads and thinking about ourselves and, and our swing and, and the ball, we lose connection with the target. We lose connection with the ground, uh, and and usually we don't make too good a swing. When we feel like the club is swinging itself, that's the zone, right? It's like you're you you you're just letting it happen. The club is swinging itself, and it's a it's a unified field of experience of your body, your mind, the club, the ball, the ground, the air, uh, and the target. It's all it's all one unified field of experience that you are participating in rather than so much trying to control.
0: And, and the, the idea of, of control, that's something I, I did want to get to, but,
1: uh, <laughs> of the chapters yeah. in Zen Golf. you have to give up control to get control. And, and during your swing is not a, the, a good time to give yourself a lesson. And so, so continue on that. Like what, what, what is giving up control? It's really what I was just talking about, of, of trusting that your mind-body system, you know, when we talk about letting our body do it, well, our, our body doesn't have any direction. You know, people ask me um, how much of the game is mental, and I like to say it's 90% mental and 10% mental, because <laughs> your, your mind runs every swing that you make. Your body's just a, a it's a body but your mind is what animates it. And we have our thinking mind, and we also have our instinctive or intuitive mind. And it's, it's sometimes called the subconscious, but I, I, don't, I don't like to use so much of that psychological talk. Uh, I think of it as our instinctive mind, the, the mind that you know moves our body through the day that we don't have to think about. Uh, you don't think about when you're walking, you don't think about now right foot, now left foot, now right foot, now left foot. Now left foot. You, you don't have to think about that. Your instinctive mind, has, it, it, it's already uh, a habit that that's a part of you and it moves without thinking about it. So if you can swing in that way where your instinctive mind is running the swing and your thinking mind gives up trying to control things, then you have the ultimate control, which is trusting your instinctive mind to run your body and make the best swing that you can possibly make that day.
0: I was, I was recently asked, we were just talking, you know, with the normal foursome after a round and we were talking about our favorite parts of the golf swing. And, uh, I think I pulled from, from your chapter on, uh, the thinking mind versus the intuitive mind. And and I thought about that transition point when you, you have made your decision on what the wind's doing um what club you've selected, you know, what type of ball flight you're gonna you're gonna try for, and uh and you, you visualize it and you step into that body mind. And I th- shared that
1: with the group. And <laughs> I think I got some looks of it. they were looking for back swing or forward yes, swing. <laughs> that's right. That's right. In in one of the chapters called In Golf We Trust, um the I talk about you act, uh, at times i've actually activated that transition from thinking mind to instinctive mind by actually telling having my thinking mind say take over to my body or as you said body mind and and just really say take over and it's as if i'm watching the club go back and watching it come through and watching the ball flight and i'm and and if you can move your your uh awareness from the role of director to the role of observer then you really uh are doing what what to me is the essential way to maximize your performance whether it's in golf or business or life and that is getting out of your own way to let your ability perform
0: um i wanted to take just a couple steps back maybe and And uh, hear about you personally a little bit more. You know, the the book that um, obviously I think most will be familiar with, and I'm most familiar with, is Zen Golf. Uh, For you, what came first? Was it Zen or was it golf?
1: Well, I learned golf when I was a teenager, Um, probably a you know tween, like eleven or twelve. But I uh, I never really had formal lessons for for many years. So I learned from my father who. Played in the low 120s, and I I found out that later later he didn't keep score that carefully. I was 18 or 19 when I encountered, uh, you know, and was starting to ask those questions that that we ask. And remember, that I'm uh, this was quite a while ago. This was in the late 60s, early 70s when the Beatles were getting into Eastern philosophy and. Uh, you know, there the, was a hippie counterculture, so so uh, Eastern wisdom had really taken uh, the you know America by storm at that point. Uh, so I read a book about Buddhism, and I, as I was reading, I said, "Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. I already think that. I already think that. That makes sense." And and uh, at the end, I said, "Huh. Well, I, I, I'm a Buddhist, and I didn't even know it." So again, it's not the religion, but the, the both the philosophy and the and the practical application of how you work with your thoughts and emotions to keep from repeating the self-defeating behavior and mistakes that we make again and again and again, and stepping out of that cycle of self-perpetuated uh unhappiness. So that that's really where i connected with that now i was teaching a program on buddhist psychology mindfulness and meditation and psychology uh, at a retreat center and a young man came to attend the program he had just graduated from the university of maryland was on the golf team and was headed for jacksonville florida to be an assistant pro at um, the original sawgrass this was this will give you some time frame. This is before the TPC was built. Uh, so it was the original sawgrass designed by Ronald Palmer and Ed Say. So so I found out that he was a golfer. And I said, oh, this is cool. We're going we're gonna to take off in the late afternoon and go play nine holes every day. So we skipped out of one of the classes and, and, and went and played nine. And, and he said to me, and this was really the start of my career. He said, "Tell me what my mind is doing on the golf course." And I said, "I have a deal for you. You tell me what my body's doing on the golf course. I'll tell you what your mind is doing on the golf course." He was. He gave me golf. He's my golf pro. He gave him. His name is Ed Hanzarek, and he is now he's uh, one of the top ten golf pros in Canada. He lives in Eastern Canada in Nova Scotia, uh, and. And we're we're good friends to this day. That was 1978. So we we always stayed in touch, and whenever we talk, we talk about the, the the golf swing, and we talk about the mental game. Uh, we and work together on it. In fact, we we started working on the, the book together, and and Ed uh, really felt more comfortable with working with swing. Uh, information and technique and said well you write the mental game book and i'll write a, a book on the golf swing rather than trying to mush them together and and he was right it, it i i was you know it, it came out pretty well as as i think you know so mm-hmm. so that was really the start of how they came together that was with my friend ed and later on after we'd spent so much time going back and forth, he said, why don't you come and coach me to clinic with me? And I said, what do you want me to teach golf about? And he said, well, teach about breathing and, uh, and routine. Uh, and I said, okay, sounds, sounds good. And it was, it, our combination was a hit. So, um, that really was the start of my golf teaching. And that was oh around 1990 I worked with my first pro in 1998 i think it was 97 or 98 and then not long after that um, was able to write Zen, Zen Golf i'd worked with amateurs for for all that time and, and Zen Golf was actually it is now almost 17 years since it came out it's very it's it's so much fun that i have junior golfers who were not born, who are reading Zen Golf or listening to it, because I recorded the audiobook, who weren't born when Zen Golf was written. It really is a lot of stories about lessons that I've given. It's not theory, it's practical applications that work because they worked in lessons that I gave. And I tried to make them the most universal lessons that I that I could include. So so um, that came out in 2002. Um, just before the book was published, I started working with BJ and then, um, a few years later with, and, and a number of other pros and a few years later with Christy Kerr. And I, I was fortunate enough to be able to work with them and help both of them to get to number one in the world. So it, it's been a, it's been a really fun journey. You know, after I, I, I've done uh, about four golf books. Uh, and then I wrote a book called Zen Tennis with a gentleman named Bill Scanlon, who was famous in the 1980s for defeating, upsetting John McEnroe at the U.S. Open when McEnroe was ranked number one in the world and seeded number one. And, and, and Bill was unique in uh, kind of playing over his head, of, uh, better than his ranking would, would uh, you would expect because he was able to get into the zone. So we wrote a book called Zen Tennis, Playing in the Zone. Uh, And then um, some family members uh, asked me to write up the the work that I'd done with them, with family and friends, because uh, I found a technique for losing weight without without deprivation or, or severe dieting. Uh, so I wrote a book, The Zen of Losing Weight. It's uh, I I called it the best diet book ever for fun, um, and and it's the Zen of Losing Weight. And it's how to it's really there's no recipes. There are no recipes, and it's all again mental game and uh, working with your um, you know thoughts and emotions and cravings and and being able to um, change your relationship to eating and exercise. In a way that's uh, that's making positive choices rather than punishing deprivation. So it, it's it's kind of it's actually easy to to do. Which um, you know I don't know when this podcast is going to come out. You don't want to get that before the holidays, but in January it's going to be a for you <laughs> after eating from, oh, yeah. eating from Thanksgiving through Christmas. And, and New and Year's new resolutions, uh, that come with it, right? Yes, exactly. But um, the most exciting latest book for me, uh, the Walt Disney Company asked my sister and myself to write a book on mindfulness using store using the characters from Winnie the Pooh. Um, and it's called A Walk in the Wood, Meditations on Mindfulness with a Bear Named Pooh. We actually have a website for it. It's the initials A W I T W dot com, but it's a, it's a walk in the wood, and it's got some beautiful illustrations. Uh, it's it's a family book. It's for adults to read, and it, it, there are stories of the uh, in the a day in the life of Winnie the Pooh and his friends because he he lives in the Hundred Acre Wood and it's about uh mindfulness and awareness of environment and sense perceptions and and then introduces relationships like building confidence and uh, overcoming uh, depression uh, having gratitude and and working with mindfulness in in all the different ways and different experiences that we have during our life so There are these fun stories of the animals uh, in the in the Winnie the Pooh um, group of characters, and then after each story are instructions on mindfulness practice for different sense perceptions and mindfulness practice as a routine in the morning, and also um, kindness practice. So mindfulness and kindness are the themes that go go through this book, and. Very excited. My sister has written children's books, children's books for a long time. And that's why Disney asked us to uh, to write it together. And my wife is a graphic designer for Disney, and she did the beautiful cover and interior design. So it's really a, a family opportunity. And and it's for families. It's for adults to read and then to share the stories with their kids. And depending on the age of the kids, to Practice mindfulness together with them. They're very simple, easy to do instructions in there, and so it can create the values of of being present and and enjoying your life, and being kind and considerate to others, and 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 uh, believing, you know, and and a big part is self esteem, believing in yourself. So this is a way for families to share this together and to to grow together in in this way and make these their family values and what a better world it would be if our family values were, were, um, uh, enjoyment and kindness to each other.
0: What a timely book for, for families, um, for kids growing up in the technology age, you know, I I didn't have the social medias in in high school and I'm thankful for it. And I think about uh, kids all the time of, of just, uh, how, how important mindfulness has been for adults I mean there there's no age that it, it doesn't apply right I mean
1: I, I went up and gave a talk at some Montessori schools um, to uh, you know really little kids preschool kids they're they're already present uh, they're, they're they're pretty much pretty much with whatever's going on that's what's going on uh, but as they get into elementary they start to um, get into the self-judgment and 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 peer competitions and uh, and, and it's easy to uh, get get sidetracked. So they're teaching this in schools from kindergarten on, uh, and it's it's really um, it was exciting to be able to read some stories to the elementary school kids. And then I gave a talk to the parents and I gave a talk to the teachers. So if the parents and teachers and kids are all on the same page teaching, just teaching mindfulness and kindness, uh, what a better world it's going to be. So I I think it's happening in a lot more schools now. And and I'm hoping that this book will be a way to make, you know, I mean, who doesn't like Winnie the Pooh? So it's a way to have an already beloved character. Uh, to teach kids mindfulness and, and for families to be able to use that to develop those values at home.
0: And, and I, I was a Pooh kid, you know, grew up with Disney and, and uh, certainly plenty of Winnie the Pooh books. I'm already imagining the, you know, I know exactly the Eeyores and the, the Tiggers in my life that are are gonna, <laughs> you know, I have to read that and, 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 and apply mindfulness and apply, you know, the present moment. I mean, that's, uh, what what a perfect cast of characters to uh, to use that concept.
1: Well, we hit we uh, Winnie the Pooh teaches Piglet to be confident, to cheer Eeyore up, to teach Tigger how to tame his mind, to keep Rabbit from multitasking, and so on and so forth. So so uh, I hope you'll be able to put a link in for for these books, uh, but people can also go on Amazon to my author page. You know, Doctor Joe Parent. And uh and see all the books. Um
0: I think your next your next phase is gonna be uh maybe you know get Winnie the Pooh out on the golf course. I mean I, I know that I I probably behave more like a tigger than I'd i like to out there and just control my thoughts. Um do you feel like the the golf world in in particular is, is more suited now for, for zen golf than it was maybe in the uh early two thousands or the nineties?
1: You know that that's an interesting question. Uh And one of my goals in writing it was to um, help change the attitude and culture of golf, of being so obsessed with just swing technique and and people coming to me and saying, or or my meeting people telling them what I, I do. So, you know, I think you're right, because in the early days, uh, I would tell people what I do, and and they'd say, "Well, you know, I, I don't really need you because I um, I know how to play golf, and I'm in therapy, so I don't really need." And I, s- <laughs> and I said, no, "No, that's not really what this is about. I'm I don't analyze you. It, it's a it's not psychotherapy. It's strengthening your mental game in the same way that you would strengthen your your body and." Interestingly, I think that Tiger Woods emerging on the scene, and the fact that he's uh, his mother's from Thailand and a Buddhist, and took him to uh, at least once a year to a um, monastery to do some meditation, Um, and and the strength of his mental game, and coincidentally, he was also largely responsible for people getting. As physically fit as uh, as they have be, been in the last ten or fifteen years, so uh, I would say that it has grown. And my intention was to hope that that the idea of Zen golf or playing in the zone in that way became much more part of the language of golf. and And it's fun to uh, to hear Nick Faldo, for example, on the on golf telecast say. You know, he really got into the Zen Zen state for that shot, it looked like. You know, and so it really, it, it's exciting. It really has become part of the language of golf. And, and you're right, um, in the last, oh, I, I would say maybe the last, just this decade, um, it has become much more accepted as a pillar of the game. Besides technique, you know, it used to be just technique and equipment. For a while, it was just swing technique, then technique and equipment, then technique and equipment and physical fitness, and now technique, equipment, physical fitness, and the mental game. And, and people don't understand, if you work on your mental game, it's easier to improve on your physical te- on, on your swing technique, because you really understand what's happening in the relationship of mind and body. The,
0: the other question I had for you from your your journey there and, and just kind of uh, thinking through the many elements that you've you've touched on uh, you've worked with some very accomplished golfers and VJ Singh master champion PJ champion uh, you mentioned Christy Kerr uh, I know you've you've helped a lot of uh, uh, mini tour players that have finally cracked through uh, in q school you, you share some of those stories in Zen golf um, what I was curious of when you're working with uh, amateur players or um, your competitive players, uh, you know, is there a difference when you're coaching a a daily, someone who's playing every day versus someone who's maybe getting out every other week or so um, do you give them the same advice or do you, do you have to tailor the Zen Golf message for them?
1: Well, you know um, I think the this, this story with a story of starting to work with VJ will will reveal something about that. Uh, when we when we started, uh, <laughs> it is kind of a fun story. Actually, it, it wasn't it wasn't fun for me at the time. I had broken a tooth that morning when I ran into VJ at Riviera at the LA Open, and um, I called my dentist, and he said you got to get up here by five o'clock, uh, and uh, otherwise, you might have to have a root canal. So I, I saw VJ. His, uh, we'd sent a, a preview of the book to his home. His wife got it, loved it, and sent it out uh, and and asked that it be sent to him out on tour. And so when I ran into him, I said, you know, I'm, thank you for for appreciating Zen golf. And he said, oh, you wrote that? Maybe maybe we should talk. And I said, yeah, I'd love if you would say something for the for the jacket, you know, a little quote for the jacket. And he said, no, maybe we should should walk nine holes. And then I realized he, he's thinking about me working with him. And he said, what are you doing this afternoon? And, I, and the, it flashed through my mind, well, maybe get to work with VJ Singh, but maybe have to have a root canal. Uh, or not get to work with VJ Singh <laughs> and not have to have a root canal. And uh, it was a pretty easy answer. I said, I'm, nothing, I'm not doing anything this afternoon. <laughs> so so we, uh, we walked and, and I, I made a few comments as we walked and asked some questions. And, and by the eighth hole, he said, OK, what's your program? And this is what I wanted to tell you when you asked, you know, do I give the same advice to different people? Uh, I said, he said, what's your program? And I said, you're my program. I don't have a canned program that I go through with everybody. I find what's gonna work for you, and we try different things it's not It's not a cookbook recipe. We try different things if they work for you, we use them if they don't we move on and uh and so i as the, you know, I did end up working with b j and and by the way, I got to the dentist in time and didn't have to have a root canal so it was the it was the best of both worlds but it was an interesting <laughs> change that, I, that I still remember very vividly the the only difference is for a competitive golfer especially one who's doing it for their living well they're they're doing it 8 hours a day six sometimes 7 days a week and a uh, as you said a weekend golfer uh i've done i've done uh, talks at country clubs and and everybody's sitting there and i say you know how how many people practice um more than once a week. And a lot of people raised their hands. And then I said, now when I say practice, I mean after a round or on a day when you're not playing golf, and every single hand went down. So, so when you say the weekend words, basically they don't practice. They warm up before a round. That's their, that's their practice. And usually they treat it as their practice, and, that, and that's a problem. When they're warming up, they should just be going for rhythm and flow and quality of impact. But they start working on lessons as, as they're as they're warming, you know, as they're warming up, and end up getting so much in their heads and so mechanical that they have a miserable time on the golf course. Till till around the fourteenth, fifteenth, maybe sixteenth hole, when they give up trying so hard and just get up and whack the ball, and then they have a lot of fun for the last couple of holes, and they come back out again. So 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 <laughs> for the, the weekend golfers I try to have them understand that try to get them if they can practice a little bit separate from from the round but for them working on their swing is going to be less productive than working on their mental game and act, actually on their short game and putting that that putting some time into that is going to be way more valuable for saving strokes for the average golfer than trying to perfect or, or improve their swing. So that's the that's really a little bit of the difference. At the same time, what I tell my pros, and and of course I'm I'm from the Seve Ballesteros era. For young golfers, they they who don't know Seve, they think of Phil Mickelson as the you know the the epitome of the short game. You know, wizard. So it, I either say, you know, until you're as good as Sebi or as good as Phil around the greens, you still have work to do. Once you get as good <laughs> as, them, then you can just do a little maintenance work. But until then, you should continue to increase your repertoire of shots and improve your short game. Always work on on that, and and that's every level of golf. so when you talk about practice is, is, uh,
0: and, and now it's just, it's now occurring to me that in Zen golf, you have some great, um, practice routines, I guess we'd call them, but they're, Mm -hmm. they're, they're very different than what, you know, a a typical PGA coach might give you. Um, and, and, and I love that they're, they're very practical. You can take them out, you can go, uh, you know, put them into play on the practice green or the chipping green is, is, uh, Practice overall, how else do you tell people to practice? Is it really boiled down to, to spend more time on the short game? Or or do you give other tools for people to go out when they do practice?
1: Uh, I, I have them separate skills practice and performance practice. So here's a, a little slogan, drills for skills. Okay. You do drills to develop your skills and, and you can just, work on a particular move in your full swing, you can work on how you get the club, you know, uh, your swing path and how the club goes through the grass on a short game shot, all of those different things, but you don't have to do your full routine. You know, you can just bring put rake a ball over and 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 work on a particular move. Yeah, there are a lot of there's a lot of information in learning theory that you only do it to for a certain period of a certain number of reps that if you overdo the reps you actually degrade your your performance so you find that ideal number of reps where you're not overdoing it and but you're you're you groove you know you you drills uh, the slogan is drills for skills to groove a move okay drills for skills to groove a mm-hmm. move. once you've spent some time on that then you switch to performance practice, and in performance practice, you play shots and simulate as best you can performance on the golf course. So, in fact, I I, I found an interesting thing um, that I don't know. I've never heard anybody else talk about this, but <clears throat> when it's time for performance practice, don't rake a ball over with your club and and set it up and give yourself a good lie. Find a decent place on, you know, on the range that you're not dropping in a divot, but drop your ball as if you were taking relief from standing on a sprinkler head in the fairway and then ball in play. And now you're relating to the ball the way you would on the golf course. As soon as you touch it with the club and rake it over, it doesn't count. So Mm -hmm. you don't really simulate performance, but if you drop it, well, what if you end up in a little bit of a cuppy lie? hey, guess what? You're going to get those on the golf course. So why not practice that as well and feel the difference between a sitting up lie and a cuppy lie and, you know, all of those things. But then you do full routine. Shoot, you know, know the distance to the flag that you're shooting at. Stand behind it. Do your breathing. Take your practice swings. Go through your full routine, including your post-shot routine. And that's performance practice. You won't hit as many balls, and you get a lot more out of it. And you alternate between skills for drills and group to groove a move and performance practice. And and then, then you won't you know beat your beat yourself up beating balls, and you'll get a lot more out of your practice session. If you're going to get ready to play, what I after you've worked through your clubs and kind of loosened up and feel your impact and, and rhythm, play imaginary holes as if you're on the course tee a ball up, then hit an iron shot, then tee one up for a long par three, then hit a little chip shot, then, then tee another drive, then a fairway wood and a wedge. And now you've played three holes with full routine, and it's just as if you're going to the fourth hole when you get to the first hole. And 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 that's a chapter in Zen Golf as well.
0: You know, what, one last thing from Zen Golf I wanted to – Uh, to discuss because we you know we talked about enjoyment and kindness and and being kind to ourselves as we we play this this great game um i love the chapter called how to enjoy a bad round of golf uh yeah
1: you know when you say a bad round of golf well there there are two things one you know you there are days when we're just hitting the ball great and not scoring and we think of that as a bad round, but that, that's not really a bad round. It's usually when we're not hitting the ball so well, and maybe we scrape together a couple of bar saves, but, but we're uh, you know struggling off the tee or struggling from the fairway. Uh, <clears throat> and we, <laughs> I, you know people might deny it, but everybody goes out and and somewhere, it may be very, very deep in the back of their minds. It's this could be the day. This could be the day I play the best round of my life. And sometimes we have mm-hmm. our, first, our first few good holes, and, and then then we get ahead of ourselves. And we think, oh, this is it. Yeah, this is going to be the day. I'm going to do it. And then we lose, you know, kind of lose it. But, but, um, but some days after, a, you know, a third of the round is gone, the sixth hole, you go, well, this is not going to be <laughs> my best <laughs> my career round. And, and what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So um, usually we go in the wrong direction. Did you ever, I don't know if you've ever seen these. They're little, little uh, tubes of woven bamboo, uh, um, a, you know, about a few inches long. And you stick your fingers, uh, one finger from each hand in each end. And, and if you try to pull your fingers out, the tube gets longer, but it also gets thinner and it tightens. And the harder you pull, the more stuck you get. And that's what we yep. end up doing on those times when the round is going in the wrong direction. It's going bad and we, we send it further because then we get more technical and and get twist ourselves up into a pretzel to the point where I'm not sure I'm holding the right end of this thing. <laughs> and what do I do with it? You know, and and uh, and and so when things start going that way, we really want to do less technical things, we want to go back to finding some key or some feel that is at least going to make us have decent rhythm and decent impact. Uh mm-hmm. so on the on the days when we it looks like it's gonna be bad round, there there are three things that we could get out of a round of golf. Okay. We could get enjoyment, we could get performance, uh, and we could get learning. Now I would like to have all three. That's why I have the, you know, um you you wanna not you wanna take the game seriously, but not take yourself so seriously. So you can always find some enjoyment. Uh, and, and, at least in the scenery and, you know, <laughs> if I've had a bad round, somebody says, how was, how did you play? And I said, it was a beautiful day and I, I'm ha- you know, a, a bad day on the golf course is, is better than a good day at the office. So, you know, you say things like that to just appreciate the opportunity to be out playing golf. Then, um, you have performance. Of course, you'd like to have performance and you want to do your pre-shot routine. And the post-shot routine lets you catch those and not get into that negative cycle. The post-shot routine lets you kind of, you know, right the ship and and get you steering in the right direction. Uh, so that you don't get into that that state that that we get into sometimes where it just keeps spiraling down and down and down. But then there's learning and oh you can always even if you're not having a good round you can try to learn something and you can even make notes and say okay this was my state of mind i did you know this was this was when i was i i noticed i've been short on so many holes of reaching green maybe i'm not being realistic in my club selection and you start to reevaluate things or you know um I'm I'm going to track and see what's going on with my with my round and know what I need to go back and and check with my swing instructor. Uh and and if you keep track of those you can start to collect some of your tendencies. And usually you most golfers would be surprised there're only one or two tendencies that we have that really get in our way. And we spend so much time looking for them and we come back and we go, oh, yeah, it's that. And, and so you can either find a way to enjoy yourself, enjoy the company, and, and give yourself new goals or new tasks. And if you're really playing poorly from tea to green, change your attitude and say, today is my opportunity to work on my bunker play and my short game. And that's what I'm going to focus on. Yeah, you know what? I'm just going to give up hope of hitting too many greens. But now this is my opportunity to really work on my short game on the course. And it can change your perspective. And soon, you know, it might actually improve your tee to green play.
0: That that makes me think of so many different different things, Uh, one of which is after rereading your book, I, I picked up on something that I had been doing for years that was um, work on caring a little less. And, and, and not that, you know, you probably hear that a lot, but, but when we care too much, um, we put added pressure on ourselves. But you, I think it, it might have been in, in this chapter or a different one, but, um, you know, to care or not to care, what does that mean?
1: Well, that is a chapter in Zen Golf. You know, obviously um a paraphrase of Hamlet, to be or not to be. Uh to care or <laughs> not. Care, to care or not to care. And and that's an actual story of an instructor at one of the uh schools who said, you know, I tell my students not to care so much, but I get out there and I care. Uh I said, Well, of course you care about the outcomes because if you didn't care. Uh, you you know, yeah, you could you could knock the ball around, but then you wouldn't have to follow any of the rules because you would just be knocking a ball around for exercise. So there are two different definitions of the word care. You can look this up. One is to take an interest in, and the other is to worry about. Well, you want to take an interest in the shot and in the outcome, that's why you spend the time to pick a target and do your yardages and check the wind and take into account the elevation and the lie and all those different factors and how well you've been hitting it and, you know, uh, what your distance with certain clubs are. And, you you know, it's, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of math and, um, and calculation. And it's not playing golf. It's preparing to play a shot. So you wouldn't do all that if you didn't care, because you, you do take an interest in wanting to maximize your outcomes. But then the other definition is the one that gets in the way. Then if you worry about how it's going to turn out, that's where the interference is. So I want you to care about the outcome, but not worry about the outcome. And, and, and Christy, this is something that was huge for Christy. And I, uh, Christy Curran, working with her, I think this, if there was one thing that I said to her that transformed her game and helped to get to number one in the world, it was this. In golf, you aim at a spot, but you play to an area so that you increase your area of acceptance of what's a decent shot. And then you don't get so uptight and so focused on trying to be perfect. And hit the per make the perfect swing, and hit the perfect shot. You you know, even the even the test robot that they use to to test clubs and balls has a dispersion pattern. The balls don't all land in the same spot. Well, if the robots' balls mm-hmm. don't all land in the same spot, yours aren't going to. And depending on how uh, technically proficient a golfer you are, you're going you can have a pretty sizable area. So instead of worrying about how it's going to turn out care about how it's going to turn out and then trust that and get out of your own way to make the best swing you can make and it's going to come down somewhere and if you are not interfering it will come down in your area and then play it from there. The
0: differentiator that that was an aha moment for me was that word worry that I was telling people um, to care less but you know, that's not what I meant. What I meant and what I wanted them to to, to start doing is uh, to worry less. That, yes,
1: that's you that. know, you, you can play the next one and you got And you know. Christy came up with a great acronym. And she said, uh, when I worry about results, that's W-A-R. When I worry about results, I'm at war with myself. So I always credit her with that one. She golf's hard enough without fighting yourself while you're playing. Actually, golf's well, not that hard. It's kind of fun. It depends on your expectations. If, uh, you know, if you expect to shoot your handicap every round, golf's hard. Do you know why? Because your handicap is a measure of your potential. You're not supposed to shoot it every round. You're going to shoot your handicap or better maybe one out of four or five rounds because your handicap is uh, a little bit lower than the average of your best 10 rounds out of 20. So it's right there, you know, uh, at the one quarter point. <laughs> uh, and, and if you you're know, people, that should to shoot your handicap every time, it's not going to happen. Because if you start doing that, you know what they do? They lower your handicap. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, that's
0: handicaps on the first tee should come with that disclaimer. Like where, you know, so what, what are you playing off of? Oh, I'm playing off of five. But I do want to remind you that that is only my potential and exactly. not my expectation of myself.
1: Exactly. Right. It's because you throw out 10 of of your last 20 to do the handicap calculation. You throw out 10 of your last 20. So right there, you're not counting the the t- half of your your games. So those half are going to be way higher than your handicap, okay? Then you take the other 10, and it's slightly less than the the mean or the average of those. And so now you throw out another quarter of your, your scores are higher than your handicap. So right there, three quarters of your scores, roughly, are going to be higher than your handicap. So... You know, I, I tell people, yeah. hey, I got a great game for you. It it costs a lot of money, it takes a lot of time, and you're only going to enjoy it once out of four times that you do it. Who wants to play? <laughs> Nobody. So I, yeah. like, you gotta understand <laughs> if, if you only enjoy it when you shoot your handicapper better, you're only gonna enjoy it one out of four times. That's just that's that's that that's how they calculate them. So relax and enjoy it. And if it's one of those that you're going to throw out, know that you're going to throw it out and stop worrying about it and work on your short game.
0: Dr. Joe, you know what I love is that I've, I've played golf as long as I can remember starting when I could remember. And I never actually heard it laid out in that matter of fact nature. And and that's something that, you know, it's just not front of mind. I don't think about handicaps in that way, but that is exactly how they operate. And, it, and without me even knowing it, it has fed into my own expectations. Um, and I think that's just, what's so cool about the, the the game is, you know, although I've, I've played golf for 30 plus years now, I, I um, feel like the journey's just now starting in a lot of ways.
1: Well, that makes me very happy. I never get tired of hearing it. It's, it's very sweet. I just got to, I just got an email from a guy who said uh, he's 76 years old and a a PGA lifetime pro, and he's still learning from Zen Golf. That's pretty cool.
0: One last quick question for you, and I know you've been very generous with your time this morning. Uh, This has been really special for me. Um, But another thing that I've grown to appreciate is how ancient philosophies can. work their way into to new beginnings or new teachings and i think zen golf is, is a big part of that uh you know we started new club as a golf society with a bit of that ideal as well which was um we started you know talking about how to enjoy the game more and, and realizing that a lot of it stemmed from you know ancient golf societies that when the game initially started what is the the Shivis irons society
1: Oh, it, it got started by a, a guy who was a big fan of Michael Murphy's book, Golf in the Kingdom. And Shiva Sirens is the, uh, um, this mythical, maybe mythical, semi-mythical golf pro that Michael runs into. And he's on his way to India to do a meditation retreat at an ashram in India. But he stops in Scotland at this golf, this golf course and meets this mythical pro. And has mystical experiences of golf, so um, it's really a uh, it's a, a group of people, like-minded people, like like your club, like the new club, uh, who have the attitude of wanting to particularly focus on the mystery and beauty of golf and the opportunity to uh, and use golf as a vehicle. For expanding their awareness and learning more about life, you know, I, there, there was an old golf pro who said, "Golf and life are a lot alike. It's just golf's a little more complicated." <laughs> so, so, um, so you know that, and 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 the community of Zen golfers—the people who have grown up—that uh, that 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 I send my newsletter. It's not a newsletter. It's really a quote of the week that I send out to to people who. have Who've written in and expressed appreciation for the, the Zen golf approach, and I know you found one of my quotes that that you've been using, which is people think that uh, if only I played better, I'd enjoy the game more, and it actually works the other way around. If you enjoyed the game more, you'd play better, and I know that's one of your uh, your favorite sayings of mine. Uh, it, but yes, it is. It's really it's really true, and and what we want to do is. Use, you know, people come to me, they say, Well, I want to work on my mental game to get better at golf. And then we eventually find that we're using our golf to make our minds and our lives better. And that's really where Zen Golf originated. And that was not just as a golf book, but as a life book and a way to use golf as. A vehicle as a as a gateway as a pathway in to taking a look at how we live our lives. So so uh, um, to be able to play with like minded people and help each other to explore and understand and enjoy the game more and enjoy our life more is really what what that's about and and I look forward to coming uh, sometime to uh, meet with some of the members of your club the new club uh, and and I like the name it's the new club in that it's a new way of looking at golf which really goes back to some of the old ways of looking at golf when it was literally a walk in the park and I love going to Scotland and and Ireland and and in Scotland, uh, walking, uh, playing the. I was playing the old course, and there was a, a, a father and son, and their dog, walking along, playing the course, and they'd whack the ball, walk along, hit, uh, pick it up. They hardly t- took any time. It was something that you did as you were walking along for a walk in the park. And the old course at St. Andrews is a public city park that people can walk in the evenings. So uh, that's really, you know, that's that's really what it's talking about, about getting back to the original spirit of the game.
0: I, I could never hope to say it better than that. And, you know, you hit on um, everything that we feel, kind of the like-minded souls the kindred spirits that uh end up finding each other through this game and and enjoy those walks together um that's what we're all about that's what why I think we gravitate so much to to your readings and uh and Zen golf and and all the other lessons that we can find uh because it it just adds to it it adds to that enjoyment it adds to that community and and, and lastly i i mean i know this happens pretty frequently to you um but, uh, but again, I just wanted to say personally that, you know, your, your book did come at a pretty pivotal time for me personally uh, when I was, like many of us, just struggling with certain things. Um, you know, around that time, I, I started to return to golf as well, uh, mostly as a means to, to get away. Um, but when I picked up your book shortly after, I started to, uh, you know, peruse and, and I probably wasn't halfway through when I started to realize that, you know, it's not about golf. Uh, just just like you said it it really was more about life um, for me, meditation came next, which became a, a daily practice so I, I don't mean to overstate it I just wanted to share with you personally that um you know i'm a I'm a calmer, clearer, more compassionate person because of uh, reading your book now three times and uh, and picking up a few of the others
1: well thank you Thanks. I never get I never get tired of hearing it and it always moves me to hear uh, something like that so that that's That's my bottom line. And that's why I did this in the first place. Thank you.
0: That was Dr. Joe Parent, author of Zen Golf, Zen Tennis, and his new book, A Walk in the Wood. Thank you, Dr. Joe, for everything you've done. You've had a bigger impact than you can probably imagine. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Hey, guys, just one last note to say thank you. Uh, Thank you to both our members and our listening audience. Um, You know, this wouldn't be possible without you guys. Uh, we started New Club to build a golf community of people who, who respect and love the game of golf, um, and we started this podcast to highlight people who share that passion uh, that we find interesting and we hope that you do too. If you have any ideas or you're even interested in membership at New Club, um, you can email us at membership at New Club, uh, So check us out, give us a holler, and send any ideas our way. We appreciate you guys
1: listening in and being a part of the community enjoy the game